Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? What's up? What's up? Welcome to the show. Uh, episode 25. Thanks for tuning in. Episode 25 of The Quiet Part Loud. Um, and if I'm honest, that's a surprise, uh, but it's a happy surprise. So um, quarter century of shows done, and we're just we're, we're going to keep it moving, guys, back into the swing of things. The weather is perking up a little bit in London. It's getting a bit warmer, which makes everybody feel, you know, better. Also has its downsides, um, packs the gym ridiculously because uh, people seem to think that, you know, you can you can go from being a fat slob during the winter to being in, you know, beach ready shape in uh, in a matter of weeks. And unfortunately, it doesn't fucking work like that. So uh, the the gym, I tend to go to the gym at about five in the morning, uh, you know, almost guaranteeing myself a lot of open space but that is uh that is slowly started to dissipate over the past week or so as the weather started to improve and you know people are like oh shit i've been sitting around doing nothing for months um here's the time of year where i should try to attempt to make myself look better and feel better and get ready for the summer and Let's see what we can do. So there's been a bit of an influx at my gym over the past week, which is cool, man. Like, you know, I always encourage people to get get in shape, you know, make themselves look and feel better, operate better, um, you know, optimize their, their, their body and their, and their vehicle. But there's just a couple of things that need to be checked. And this is not for sporadic uh, gym users or new beginners, uh, you know, like beginners at the gym only. It's not, it's not that this is for everybody that goes to a gym. Okay. There are certain things that shouldn't need to be spoken, but clearly do need to be spoken about one. Do not leave benches sweaty. Okay. If you are a profuse sweater, like I am, if I'm being completely frank, be prepared. Have a towel or use what's provided in the facility to wipe down your shit after you're done because nobody wants to come and sit on a bench, lie on a bench, face down, back down. When your sweaty ass is just finished doing whatever fucking exercise you've been doing, okay? It's disgusting. Nobody wants that shit. Wipe it down. Bring a towel. Use the paper towels at the gym. Whatever. Right? That's one. Number two. I'm not saying you have to be spick and span, ready for work, clean. But Jesus Christ, put some deodorant on. Some of you guys that go into the gym smell like you haven't bathed in a week. But not only have you not bathed in a week, you've been doing exercise during that week. You've been cleaning your garden. You've been doing whatever the fuck else you've been doing. You smell like a burnt diaper and a sweaty, salty nutsack. It's fucking disgusting. You make my nose want to bleed and it's fucking gross. And if I operated 
and owned a gym, there would be strict rules in place where you would be asked to leave if you came smelling like some of the people in some of the gyms that I've been to come in smelling like. It's fucking disgusting. And have a bit of pride in yourself. You know, you can smell it. If I can smell it five feet away from you, you can smell it. It's right on you, right? So that's two. And three, and we're just gonna touch on three or I'll be here all day. Three, and potentially most important, re-rack your motherfucking weights when you're done with whatever exercise you're doing. I don't care if you've got two five kilogram plates on a on a on an easy curl bar. Put them away. Who do you think you are where you can walk away from a squat rack with 160 kilos on it and leave that for the next guy? Most people are not squatting 160 kilos. I mean on average I do about probably 130 or something like that, right? No, but not many people are, are coming into a gym, especially at that time or any time for that matter. The general public who frequent a lot of these chain gyms are not squatting 160 kilos. So what the fuck are you doing leaving three plates on each side of the bar and then walking away and going home or doing another exercise? Have some courtesy. It's not your personal gym and you're not too special to re-rack your own weights. Not only that, but it's a health and safety concern, right? If the next person that walks up to that gym is a meek, you know, kind of timid, maybe slightly intimidated person who's new to the gym, and that's the only option they've got, there's a whole, whole ream of things that could go wrong with that, right? Leaving weights on the floor. I mean, okay, I'm going to be completely frank with you guys, right? I now am a member of an Anytime Fitness. When I was a member of the gym previous, it was a private kind of low membership numbers gym, which was fantastic and for a number of reasons had to had to switch locations. And the most convenient one is an Anytime Fitness. It's right around the corner from my house, about a five-minute walk from my house, which is amazing, right? But... What happens when you get a generic gym is you get generic people with generic ideas of what behavior is appropriate in these gyms. And that's why you run into the uh, situation where you'll have you know 20 kilo weights strewn all over the place or little five kilo weight. It doesn't matter, dumbbells, barbells, fucking everything, right? Benches on top of benches. Just it can it can be a, it can become a real mess. And if it's a real mess, then you're posing a health and safety risk to the other members in the gym. And that's my main fucking problem with this, right? If you stink at the gym, I can avoid you for the most part. If, um, you know, if you sweat, like if you sweat like a priest in a whorehouse, then, you know, I can probably use a different piece of equipment or I'm probably in the gym before you get there. So, you know, that's less of a concern. The real concern here is re-racking the weights and putting shit away when you're done with it in a gym environment because it's so important. I've seen so many people trip or drop a weight, you know, when they've had to pick it up off the ground rather than taking it off of a rack and so on and so forth. There's just any number of problems that can occur when there's just loose weights. And with Anytime Fitness, 
out of hours, there's nobody there, right? There's no, um, there's no trainers there. There's no uh, staff there. So none of this stuff is getting picked up. But there are cameras, right? There's CCTV cameras strewn throughout the gym. And I presume in all of the gym locations because it's got to be for security purposes, etc. When you're running a gym that's unattended for, you know, antisocial hours, you have to have some monitoring service there. So because this is a safety risk, not only to experienced people who attend the gym, but more so and also for those that are new to the gym, those who are a bit intimidated, the last thing you want to do is come in and see chaos, right? It doesn't, it's not inviting. It's not, it's not conducive with a good experience when you're trying to, you know, engage in a form of therapy, which is what I wholeheartedly consider exercise to be. It's a form, one of the most effective forms of therapy. Um, you know, mental, physical exertion, it's, uh, it's, we're, you know, it's, it's a no brainer. It's, it's a form of therapy. And especially for me, it's, it's a, it's a time of day where I can spend an hour to two hours engaging as little or as much as I want with other people. And if I want to just disappear into my music and get on with my workout, which is what I do most days, then, then that's the time. And, and this is a non-negotiable time. And I just want that to be a uh, an experience that is that is pleasurable day in and day out. And when you're posing a, a safety risk within that environment, it takes away from the ability to enjoy it as much. Um, but like I said, all of these places, if they're not attended by actual staff, then they're monitored um, on CCTV. Now, if this was my gym, there would be a huge poster or message on the wall that basically said, if you get caught, <coughs> pardon me, if you get caught not racking your weights when you're done, <coughs> pardon me, you will get a warning. Second time, it's a fine. Third time, you're out of here. And it, if I'm being completely fucking honest with you, if it was my gym, it'd be a one-strike policy. If you don't have the common courtesy to not be a lazy fucking prick and put your, 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 your weights away or your equipment away when you're done, you don't deserve to be here. Fuck off. Go work out somewhere else. You can give somebody else your 30 quid a month. I don't want you in my place. Simple as that. So people, in my opinion, who frequent the gym, who leave shit out, need to be named and shamed for being lazy, inconsiderate assholes that put all the other members at risk. And I think there should be a fine and disciplinary policy in place by Anytime Fitness and for any other gym for that matter that does not stand for it. Because the number one policy for any gym should be the health and safekeeping of their members at all times. And if you're not enforcing a strict cleanup policy by your members, then you're not doing right by your members, in my opinion. And it's just a few people, right? I think for the most part, people are wary enough to say, hey, I wouldn't want this shit left out, so why would I leave it out? And if we all do that, then we have a spick and span safe gym. 
That's it. So, guys and girls out there, if you are a culprit of leaving your weights on the floor, you're an asshole. Change your behavior, pick your weights up, it takes two minutes, you're not in that much of a rush, and if you are, give yourself more time. Don't put other people at risk because you're a lazy cunt, okay? Next step is I start calling people out in person. Because it's just not fun. It's not, this is supposed, it's supposed to be an enjoyable experience and it's not when you're basically, play, basically playing hopscotch around weights and dumbbells and barbells on the floor, right? And you can't just put exercise at your own risk or mine the equipment as a precaution. Because one day someone's going to trip, crack their fucking head on a weight or on a rack or something else, and they're going to get paralyzed or worse. Um, and you're not going to be able to indemnify yourself against it with the current policies you have in place. So, gyms, get stricter on this. People who go to the gym, be better. Improve. You're there to improve your body, right? Improve your behavior overall. This is an opportunity to become a well-rounded person mentally and physically and behaviorally, right? So let's work on that, folks, yeah? But things are coming along. I've been grinding now from a, from a place of obesity down to where I am. And, you know, not that I'm satisfied or anything like that because I'm not. And there's still a ton of work to be done. Um... But from where I was to where I am now, I couldn't be happier. Um, it's been a long old journey. And, you know, it's it's just repetition and consistency. And just knowing that every single time you feel... I'm going to say something, but then I'm going to caveat it. Every time you feel like not going, that's exactly when you should go, Right? Except for if you're ill, if you're broken from the gym, like this is one thing I've had to temper over the period of like getting back into fitness and, and losing the weight that I've lost. Because over the past few years, I've I've come down about three stone, but completely changed my body composition. So it's been a it's been a uh, it's been a long old process. Um, but it's. Again, it's, 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 it's ongoing, right? It's a lifestyle thing. And, um, and I couldn't be happier. But one thing I've definitely had to do is temper my enthusiasm a little bit, if that makes sense. Like, for, for the longest time, I would go even if I was sore to the point where I knew in my head I shouldn't go, but I just, I had to go because it was the work, right? I had to get the work in. I felt like if I wasn't getting the work in, I was being lazy. And then I was backtracking on to a, um, you know, onto a road that was taking me back to where I came from. And that was something that I didn't want to do, right? Like I keep a picture of my fat self with me at all times. Very, very close. Start in my favorites on my phone. So if I ever feel like I'm a bit like, meh, I don't know about it today then I just look at that. But that said, 
if you're hurting, if you're in a position where you can't do the exercise effectively, then you should be resting. And that's something that I've come to come to teach myself a little bit more. I still get up five days a week and go to the gym at, you know, quarter to five in the morning. But now if I'm, you know, very, very sore on a Saturday morning, I might give it a miss. Or I might go and do some stretching or, you know, just change it up a little bit. So I'm not going and redlining my body every single session because I think all you do is take yourself towards a burnout position. And that's not good for anybody, right? You're just going to be broken. You're not going to be able to go to the gym. So you're not going to take care. You're not going to actually get what you're paying for. Um, and your body's broken. So you're not going to get the progress that you're trying to make. So you have to let yourself rest and, uh, and, and don't be so militant about it. There's a way of being super disciplined about it without being militant. And I think there's a fine line. One is a recipe for disaster in the, in the average type of normal person who wants to get in shape. And the other one is a recipe for real success, change, and, uh, and development. So uh, enough about my time at the gym, but just to kind of stamp the point home, Pick up your fucking weights. And while you're at it, put some deodorant on and wipe your shit down when you're done with it because nobody wants to work out on a sweaty ass bench after a stanky ass bastard has been doing whatever exercise on it. Okay? But most important out of all three of those, pick up your weights. And we're into it. And we're into it. Episode 25. And we're into it, guys. We're getting there, right? What, what else is going on? we got a ton of shit to talk about if we want to talk about everything that I kind of made bullet points about, which yeah, I don't know. We might. We might not, right? But where we are right now, we are on the 17th of April. I don't know where the year is going. In fact, I do. I've been working my ass off and I've been doing a lot of different shit. So I, I, I do know where the... Where the uh, I do know where the year is going and I do know where the days are going. And, uh, and it's, like I said, moving swiftly now into, uh, into spring. So it's time to get the garden going on my side. Bit of personal information for you as we do sometimes. Um, I'm going to plant the fuck off vegetable and herb garden in my backyard now that I've done some renovations uh, back there. And it's, it's starting to look as it should. Um, but from a, from a produce perspective... I want to be self-sufficient and self-sustaining. Um, so I need these things in the ground. But we've already got them them uh, blossoming in the little incubator that we've got there in the, uh, in the kitchen. And I think we've got 23 different varieties planted currently. I'm planning on doing about 60 uh, different plants. Uh, f- like I said, fruit, vegetable, herbs. Um, and then we're going to have some flowers in there as well, both edible and non-edible. But you guys don't give a shit about that, obviously, because why the fuck would you? Um, I'm just rambling about my garden because I love it and I get obsessed with shit when I, uh, when, I start to, when I start to build something. I get obsessed with it. It's like this podcast, right? It's all I talk about. If I'm not talking about my garden <laughs> or getting <laughs> in shape or what's been going on in the UFC... I'm probably talking about this garden. Um, I'm having a pizza oven built in there, which I think I've mentioned on the show before. Um, and now I want to build a deck out there as well. So I'm talking to all these contractors and uh, and, and it's, it's all good stuff because it makes me excited. I like building things, but not really building them, like telling somebody else to build them. And then I watch and kind of supervise because I'm like, I like designing things, but I don't like, I'm not very good with manual labor if I'm being completely fucking honest with you. Um, 
But that's what people with trades are for, right? Bring them in, get the job done right, and uh, and you know be happy with the with the end result rather than having a fucking idiot like me try to do carpentry work. You know what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? It's gonna look like shit. And there's people out there that are much more skilled at it than me. And it's not a vocation that I'm particularly interested in picking up and becoming proficient and skilled at. So there you go. Got some shit going on there. Um, the news from today in in England. Very interesting. Because I said a couple shows back that I'm going to start getting more and more into like British politics and the details about British politics and some of the characters in British politics and, um, you know, some of the legislative stuff that they get into, because for the most part, I'm in, I I follow North American politics simply because it's entertaining and it's a shit show. And, you know, when you've got a guy uh, like Obama in office, as they did before, and now obviously the chaos that ensues daily around Donald Trump, it's an easy talking point. And it's an easy thing to get, you know, get comedy out of or get outrage from or whatever it may be. But I also am very, very keen on developing my domestic audience here in the UK. And for that, you know, you need to be you need to be current and uh, and up to speed on on what's going on in your own country. And I've negated to do that to a to a to a deep level since I started the show but it's definitely something that I want to do more of and spend more time on because you know not only for the show but it's important for me I live here I should be aware uh, to a deeper degree what the policies are what the legislation is saying so on and so forth um, You know, with obviously big ticket items like the, you know, the joint attack in Syria that, you know, Theresa May authorized. Obviously, you know about that because it's world news. But some of the other things like cannabis reform or the housing crisis or, you know, wage and unemployment and inflation and things like that, which reports are coming out about today. Less so if your main interest in politics is the U.S. political sphere. So started looking into some of these things and the reports on that are coming out today about inflation and unemployment numbers, they're quite interesting because they're saying that they're saying that wages have gone up above inflation or near enough to inflation for the first time in like 10 years. But they're not over inflation because on average wages went up 2.8%. And if I'm not mistaken, inflation went up 2.9%. But the thing about inflation is it affects everybody. The thing about wage increases is it does not. So this could be a top end. It could be an influx into the job market. You know, it could be a top end curve that's bringing the whole entire average up like, you know, sea level wages, etc. So it's not a direct correlation and it's definitely not anything to be waving banners and having a parade about because there's a ton more work to be done on that 
Because if the average wage goes up 2.8%, which translates to an average weekly earning increase of about 0.2%, just to put that in perspective, if you take home 500 pounds a week, with this new inflation, you're taking home 501 pounds a week. If you've had a if you've had a pay rise, so what does that mean to the average person? Nothing, right? If your average earnings per week go up a pound, that doesn't translate into anything. Going from earning 500 pounds a week to earning 501 pounds a week? Come on, what are we celebrating here? You know, they're saying unemployment went down and there were 16,000 new jobs in the period. Again, you need details, right? You need, you need context on what these jobs are, wh who they're for and and, and, and how that's affected the, the, uh, the economy. But, but you're not getting any of that. You're just getting, you're getting reports of, you know, they're up by 2.8% and that's a positive because it's a plus, but it doesn't really translate it into anything. And from the economists that I'm listening to, they say that another recession is around the corner 12 to 18 months away, and it's going to be worse than the one we had in 2008. So I'm a bit speculative. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit skeptical about these results, let's just put it that way. Um, but interesting to hear and interesting to see more on the spin that, you know, the BBC put on it or other, other news outlets in the UK put on it because I know this doesn't affect me in the slightest, right? My wage hasn't gone up this year. Everything else has, but not but not the money I actually bring in. And even if it did go up by this, it wouldn't mean anything. It's not it's not substantial, right? It's not affecting consumer confidence or anything like that. Something like this, a number like this, is not going to affect consumer confidence. So, what's the plus benefit in the long run? It, especially if we've got a lot of uncertainty on the horizon in terms of the economic forecasting of, you know, production and exports and imports and tax and trade and, you know, so on and so forth. That's, that's you know, inevitable with, you know, Brexit on the table still. So interesting, um, interesting figures. Um, but, you know, following on from that, they talk about, you know, the ongoing property shortage in the capital specifically, but across the country more widely and how people, you know, how this generation may be the generation that never, ever owns a house and is, you know, destined to be renters until they retire. And I'm a homeowner. And in the area of London that I live in and that I per I purchased this house for, we purchased this house for, you know, if we wouldn't have closed on this house when we did, you know, checking the the swell of, of property value at the time, within a month we would have been priced out of this area and would have had to have probably moved, you know, a few miles down the road, which in a city actually makes quite a significant difference. Um, 
but the average house price in London, I think, is three hundred and eighty-five thousand pounds. You know, and that's that's a lot. It's a lot. People can't, you know, people can't afford it. And I just wonder, because I'm not an economist, but I wonder what the knock-on effect of such a high level of foreign investment in property has done, right? Because the the price has been driven up by that, not by the actual uh, homeowner, home seeker, renter in London. It would have definitely caused inflation in house pricing, but not to the level that we currently have. And then they say, well, more affordable housing needs to be constructed. And I get that, but private uh, construction companies, I think are required by law to allocate a certain percentage of any development to uh, geared income or sustain, um, uh, like subsidized rent accommodation. Um, so for me, it's a bit, it's a bit of a like, it's a bit of a conundrum because like I'm on the property ladder now, but I'd like to do more around investment or in property and, and acquire more, more prop, but it's, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. So I, I empathize with, with those people that have, you know, trouble getting onto the property ladder and see it as you know, just a, a pipe dream. But there's also choices to be made. Like there was an interview on the BBC and a woman was a, a social care worker or a, a charity worker or something like that. And she lived in shared accommodation and she was saying, well, you know, I should be able to do it as an independent woman. I should be able to do it. And I shouldn't have to rely on a man to come and, and help me out or, or any of this sort of thing. And I, I was just like, I just thought to myself, well, why turn that into a gender issue? Like you've made certain choices. The market has made certain choices. There could be reform in terms of like foreign investment to, you know, maybe level out house prices or, or something like that. But you made decisions to go into a specific vocation. And she said <coughs> something along the lines of, I shouldn't have to choose money or making a positive impact on humanity. And I just thought, well, what are you doing for that charity? Because we don't know what her job role is. She could have been an administrator. And if she was an administrator, then you could be an administrator in a ton of different fields, maybe more you know, a different industry that makes a higher wage or something like that. But I'm telling you right now, there's no single man or woman in London that without some assistance is getting their own house unless they're of, a, of an extremely high income jump. In which case, that's a choice they made. They can afford it. They get to buy it, so on and so forth, right? It's the market speaking to an extent. But we can't pity party. We can't pity party like woe is me when 
you decided that you wanted to be in this field or this job or this industry and you you don't want a man and you don't want a dual it's not about a man it's about the economics of a two income household versus a one income household and nine times out of ten a two income household is going to be more revenue generating i guess than a single income house right If you don't want to do that, and that's not in your plans, then maybe home ownership isn't in your plans either. We all have to make adjustments to our circumstances in order to make certain things achievable. How much are people actually saving? How determined are you And I know wages are stretched, stretched and I know things are expensive, but I also question people's sacrifice because I know the sacrifice that my wife and I had to make in order to uh, buy our house because we don't come from wealthy families and we didn't have an inheritance that was waiting for us or a trust fund that was waiting for us or any assistance financially that we could count on other than the fact that we needed to buckle down, create a budget, save. <clears throat> and once we'd saved to a level that we felt comfortable with, then we went out and sought a mortgage and didn't buy above our means. And turned what, for a long time seemed like a completely untenable situation, something that we couldn't we couldn't manage. We weren't going to get through it. Um, and we weren't going to get to this final point because we saw this boom in, in the property market, right? And these values were going up and up and up and up. And we were just like, where are we going to be able to buy? But we made a plan. We stuck to it. We were determined. And we did it on our own. So it's not that I don't understand that it's hard. And it's not that I don't understand that it's a struggle. And, I, you know, and there are all kinds of barriers in place. But... If one is determined to accomplish something, truly, truly focused on accomplishing something, you will keep forward momentum towards that goal until you achieve it. And that's not saying that it's going to be achievable for every single person that attempts it. That's not the way the world works. But I don't think it's a singular issue of just houses are too expensive. It's also what are you willing to sacrifice for it? I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> We're just going here, guys. We're just going here. There's a guy reversing down my road at a very high rate of speed. <sighs> some people, some people. Oh yeah, speaking of some people, I mean, like I said, looking into British politics, right? 
this Windrush debacle by the home office and Amber Rudd's team, right? This Amber Rudd keeps coming up. She's becoming a real character um, in uh, in my line of sight when I'm looking at some of the issues that mean a lot to me, that are important to me, and some which are just coming on my radar because I'm more interested in the news cycle in this country now. But this Windrush shit is, is just a disgrace. If... If anybody doesn't know what the Windrush uh, issue is, let me just, let me try to summarize it. So between 1948 and 1971, I believe, there was an influx in migrant workers into, um, into the UK from the Caribbean and places like India and, you know, different parts of the British Empire, effectively. And they were brought in to work and do development and construction and and uh, so on and so forth. And a lot of these people that were brought over on these on these boats, which you can go back to the 2012 Olympics and see them recognized in the opening ceremonies, I believe it was. Um, a lot of these people that came over came over with their kids, and a lot of those kids didn't have their own passports, so they were on their parents' passports. So. For whatever reason, the uh, naturalization paperwork was not done. They grew up here and for decades have been working in part of, you know, the, the fabric of society. Well, now they've been told that if they can't provide documentation, they've, they risk uh, facing anything from having their benefits to access to the NHS cut off and in some cases deported they're going to be deported after being here for 30 40 years in some cases and this is just a massive oversight in decades old incompetency in political organization in the uh, in in the in the functionality of government and the home office and the way they they track individuals, the way they follow up with individuals, um, you know, just the whole sphere, really, is just a massive. From what I'm seeing here, a massive clusterfuck. Now, <clears throat> in situations like this, you don't play politics. You don't play consideration games. You know, it's like the Alfie um, Dingley situation, right? When they're... And I got to check on this because I don't know if he's even been given a fucking license yet. But we have to go through this process of consideration and looking into and, and, and all for a compassionate medical license to give this little six-year-old um, who suffers, you know, onslaughts of severe seizures... A license to be treated with cannabis and again going through the home office and amber rudd again you know just being a massive incompetent cunt can't pull her finger out and do something that enacts policy decisions and actually takes productive action on a situation instead makes some bullshit apology these people don't want your apology. They want action. They want peace of mind. 
to know that they're not going to be deported and their families and their lives aren't going to be uprooted because of administrative error on the government's part over the past 40 odd years. What they want is they want peace of mind that this isn't going to send them to a place that they don't call home anymore. So very simply, the prime minister comes out and says, categorically, anybody that came here during 1948 and 1971 as a child is welcome to stay. And this is the process that is going to make it very, very easy for you to get all of your paperwork. That's it. It's a done deal after that, right? Case closed. This is what we're doing. Solution done. And uh, everybody can have peace of mind that they're not going to leave. But all of a sudden, there's little caveats creeping in. Like, if you're here and you're supposed to be here legally, you know, they're putting all of these little these little phrases in there that could lead them to sort of a witch hunt immigration scenario. And I don't want to see that happen. This should be a blanket. You guys are cool. Thanks very much. You've been here for years. You've raised family here. You came over on your parents' passport. Can you prove it in some sort of way? Great. Done. See you later. You can squash things very, very quickly in these scenarios. It's the same with the Alfie thing, with the cannabis license. Oh, I'm sorry, your six-year-old that um, has epilepsy, a severe, rare form of epilepsy, and you get 150 seizures a month? Oh, I'm sorry, here's your medical license. I'm going to take you into the room over there. I'm going to fill it out. Oh, guys, yeah, what we've done for anybody that came here on, you know, as a child between 1948 and 1971, here's a piece of paper. It's got 10 questions on it or 10 things to fill out. You have that filed. Boom, done. We'll expedite your uh, your paperwork. We, why are we playing politics? Why do we have to get caught up in bureaucracy? Why do we have to constantly see inefficiencies and incompetencies by the people that are supposed to be running this country? Accountability. In my opinion, Amber Rudd should be removed from her post. She has so much hypocrisy surrounding her so many so many instances of handling the situa the situation wrong handling the situation incorrectly taking the archaic view on a position and for the cannabis stance alone and the fact that her husband is the md of a company that exports medical cannabis around the world if that wasn't hypocrisy enough on a single instance we can look at others like this one Rather than acting in a legislative way, acting as a politician to cover her own ass. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And she should be held accountable for it. For being an incompetent. For being a hypocrite. And for having a conflict of interest on the subjects in which she should be legislating. The wind rush debacle. It shouldn't be a wind rush debacle. It should be a wind rush naturalization process. We recognized an error in our accounting 
and our documents and our record keeping and we're going to fix it immediately. Done. Keeping these people in limbo by no fault of their own, coming over as children, as I did to Canada when I left the UK. I was on my mother's passport. And I can't tell you what kind of issues that is now presenting to me just to go back and take a holiday to visit my family. I mean, so basically I went to Canada and I was on my mother's passport. And I was never given a Canadian citizenship because by the time I was ready to make that call on my own, I was going to university in America and had considered getting a green card and applying for my American citizenship. After having that situation occur and going through university there, I went back to Canada thinking I'm never moving to America, a position I still hold today. But not giving it much thought, being a resident of Canada, being there for 20 plus years, and then leaving to come back to the UK, I would travel back and forth to Canada with no problem at all. No visa required, no documentation required, just take my passport and off you go. Now they have a travel document similar to that which you need for uh, the US because I don't have a permanent residency card because I was on my mother's passport they have this other thing, this ICE document or something like that. But I don't qualify for that because I got permanent resident status in Canada. But I don't have a permanent resident card. So I can't get into Canada. And the applications that I've done have been denied because they're incorrect and I'm already in the system for some reason. And if you think you can talk to anybody about this, you're out of your mind. There isn't a human to have a conversation with about this to explain it in five minutes and get the problem resolved. Instead, it's been nine months that I keep doing these different applications, waiting two, three months for a response, only to say, oh, this is the wrong application, you need this one. Oh, actually, no, that's not the right one, you need this one. And refilling out forms that I've already filled out and just basically having it being a carousel of bullshit. I can only imagine what these people in this Windrush debacle are gonna have to go through if they don't expedite this process in a very efficient way. And the chances of the government doing anything efficiently, pretty slim, I would say, off my experience. So, good luck to these guys. If I was in a position of you know, legislative authority, I would grant, Not, I'm not even going to say amnesty because amnesty presumes that you've done something wrong, right? Amnesty is something you you grant to somebody who you're letting off the hook for something. These people don't need to be let off the hook for anything. They haven't done anything wrong. They got brought here as kids. There shouldn't be a question on whether or not they're allowed to stay or not, right? It's like my wife with the Brexit thing and we're kind of like, oh, what's going on? Because she's from, um, she's Portuguese, and she's been here for 20 years. But it's like, well, now is she going to need to leave and come back? Or what? what's going to happen? Is she safe because she's married to me and I'm British? Um, I'm a British citizen. Who knows? But they don't tell us anything, right? It's the same with Brexit. They didn't fucking tell us anything. 
They put a couple slogans up. Idiots voted for those slogans, which turned out to be a fucking lie. And now we're in a position that we're in where we have to renegotiate trade deals. We're, you know, we lost incredible value on our currency, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, I'm not going to do a Brexit. I'm not going to turn this into a Brexit episode, but it could easily be two hours on the shit that Brexit has caused us before we even leave. Right. So I got my fingers crossed for these guys from India and Jamaica and, you know, South Africa and, you know, all the other places that these people might have come from over 40 years ago and now have to deal with this shit. They have to deal with our government in our current climate, you know, in the state that it's in. You know, doesn't invoke confidence, let's put it that way. So I hope they make this swift and painless for you guys. Um, and if it was up to me, uh, I would just, I would make this a non-issue. I would make this a non-issue. I would say come down to this office at this point, have 10 of them set up around the country with 15 to 20 people in each office with a document that says, here, fill this out, provide some sort of evidence as to when you arrived or, you know, something like that, and you're good. What are we waiting? What, what are we doing here? Like, you know, it's just ridiculous. Anyways, best of luck, guys. I hope it works out. Um, but with a person like Amber Rudd heading up that position, unlikely unlikely so what else what else i mean if we want to go to the other side of the pond we could talk coachella i mean my instagram's just been flooded with it don't even touch the explore uh page of instagram during coachella because it's just every asshole imaginable trying to bring you know, cool to their Instagram page. These models are a fucking joke. I mean, the amount of, the amount of different tinted, color tinted sunglasses and ass shots I've seen over the past couple of days is, is just outstanding. I mean, just attention whores. And for me, Coachella, is really a place where cool goes to die because everybody there is just fucking trying way too hard. I mean, they, you know, hashtag Baychella. You're like, okay, I get it. She's the first black woman to headline Coachella. Amazing. Great. That's fantastic. Who cares about giving it Baychella? <laughs> She's one of the biggest stars in the world. Right? This is not about breaking down an equality barrier. This is about having a big draw in a big commercial event headlined by a huge, huge, huge entertainment star. It's not about, you know, equaling the playing field or Coachella being a leader in. Uh, breaking down race barriers and shit like that, like people are trying to make it out to be. It's Beyonce, who is 
about to start, if not already started, a huge world tour with Jay-Z. So if this isn't an opportunity for her to promote, if this isn't also an opportunity for Coachella to capitalize on the commercialism of you know what once was a cool festival, this is a commercial capitalization. This is not a barrier-breaking moment. Okay? I get that one kind of blurs into the other, but let's not mistake them for one rather than the other. This is not a, uh, you know, this is not a momentous occasion in human history or culture. It's just not. It's a pop festival headlined by a pop star. That's it. Stop trying to make it something it's not. Because it just smells of bullshit like the whole entire festival does. Like all of the people that are taking all of the selfies and all of the Instagram models taking all of the ad shots. It just seems fake. They're parading this 12-year-old yodeler who three weeks ago nobody fucking knew. By the way, not traditional yodeling what he did. They're parading this little 12-year-old around like some fucking star at the show. Who's done a, I think Pharrell's done a song with him for crying out loud. I mean, ugh, like trying too hard. Trying way too hard. And it just smells, just reeks of bullshit. And I'm not buying it. And I'm not buying the Instagram cool. I'm not buying, you know, <laughs> I could bring up some of the captions, but I'm not going to because it's just going to, it's just going to be ridiculous. So we're going to leave it there. But Coachella, fuck. Yeah, fuck that place. <clears throat> hey, what else is going on? What else is going on? That poor little yodeler. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my the last episode that we did of the show was all about, well, not all about, it was about a whole bunch of shit, but it, one of the topics that we covered was um, the chemical attacks in Syria. And not to bring this way down, but it's actually not bringing it way down because I think it's actually fucking hilarious is um, obviously this, uh, what's her name? Nikki, Nikki something. Uh, she's the U.S. ambassador uh, in the U.N., right? She's, she's the uh, representative in the U.N. The lady with the black hair is quite forceful and quite, uh, quite um, yeah, quite, quite a savage, right? She comes at people. She's been going to Russia and, uh, and all of that uh, over the past week, which has been hilarious um, because she's been standing up real tough against, you know, against Russia in, in terms of imposing sanctions and, and things like that as a countermeasure to, you know, anything that Russia might respond to in terms of the airstrikes that were a response to the chemical weapons attack that they claim happened in, uh, in Syria. Was it last week or the week before? And, uh, yesterday she was basically levying these additional sanctions at Russia saying, listen, these are coming thick and fast, boys. You you better get ready for them. And uh, America's locked and loaded, locked and loaded. Yeehaw, locked and loaded, baby. And she's fucking grandstanding like the beast that she is and has become, become known as in the UN circle. 
and then Trumpy boy, Donnie boy, fucking Donnie boy gets on his old Twitter account last night and says, hey, 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 hey those sanctions, well, we're going to hold off on them for a little bit. We're going to hold off on them just for uh, just for a little bit over here to see, uh, see what happens. Um, completely contradicting one of his most senior staffers, one of his most senior members of government, and one of the most important players he has on the foreign stage, he just comes out and completely smacks her in the mouth and undermines any authority she had 24 hours ago by saying, meh, we're going to hold off on that shit. Yeah, we're not going to punish him so much. Not so much. I mean... <laughs> The level of dysfunction, the, it's never been seen before, right? We are playing this out. Fuck House of Cards, okay? House of Cards, Kevin Spacey, you want to suck dick 40 years ago and get fucked up for it? We're not running it with Claire Underwood because nobody gives a fuck. Sorry, Robin Wright, you do a great job, but nobody's watching that shit for you as a president, okay? We wanted Kevin Spacey, we wanted Frank Underwood, we wanted the big ring on the table, right? Want that savagery. But now we don't need it. <laughs> We've got this and this is real and this is even better. So for me, it's kind of hilarious, but it's not because this is reality. And this latest move by Donnie just just must must have the Kremlin in stitches, right? Must have Putin just like, wow, this you know one tape of this guy pissing on prostitutes or getting piss on by prostitutes or sitting in a corner wanking off while prostitutes are pissing on each other, and we've got him right where we want him. He's gonna deny this collusion thing to the very very end and drag this thing out for as long as possible. And now he's not even punishing us for, for anything that's going on in Syria. I mean, you know, what's he done? Kicked a few people out of the country. Big fucking deal. You know, some economic sanctions. Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, it boggles the mind, really. But it shouldn't. You know, and they've raided this guy's ex-lawyer now, ex-lawyer's office. They've demanded that he um, disclose who his other client was, which turns out to be Sean Hannity, which is one of Trump's most vehement advocates and defenders. You know, yeah, you can you can hire you can hire whoever you want as a lawyer, but you can't fucking you can't play an impartial journalist or pretend to play an impartial journalist. That's just reporting facts when you're so conflicted in terms of your, you know, your personal relationships. You know, the amount of people that Donald Trump has said that he's very close to within Fox and Friends is effectively making Fox News just a state-run propaganda machine at the moment. And if you have a problem with that opinion of Fox News, stuff it up your fucking ass because it's undeniable at this point, Right? Political lines are drawn through the media, have been for ages, 
are only deepening in our current climate. And to say that there's, you know, almost any impartial journalism would be a stretch these days. I think the most impartial you're going to get is probably from a podcast. And even I'm going to give you some bias because how could I not? When I see incompetence at this level, you know, it's not hard to know which side of history you're going to fall on if you take certain, um, you know, certain alliances. And I wouldn't even align with Donald Trump like in food. Like we have nothing, you know, I, I can never align with a person like that. But I also don't align with a person like Hillary Clinton. So my question for America is, who's next? Who are you gonna bring out? Who are gonna people who are gonna be the people that challenge these two people? Because you also need a Republican challenger. Don't don't get that twisted. But Trump has such a hold on the Republican Party now that personally I think they're all scared because they're all a bunch of fucking old white pussies. And they basically just bent to him. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens over there. But um, yeah, we're not we're not done by a long shot. One thing I don't like though is like James Comey coming out and now being like a TV whore because it seems gross and it seems cheap. And of a man of you know of that position and that career, there there should be a bit more integrity, I think, uh, from his position. But you know he's trying to move books, right? So you know does the media circus looks like a bit of a whore. Um, yeah, it just didn't come off good for me on that. You know, and I, I, I kind of liked him, you know, in terms of his, you know, brash, standing up to Trump, you know, calling him out, that sort of thing. But the interview itself that I saw is just a bit weak. Um, but we continue to follow the soap opera. And this week's been a great episode. It's been a great episode of... Uh, of you know, of Trump land USA. It's been a, it's been a fun week. Episode 63. Season one, episode 63. Of the Trump dynasty. You know. What else is going on? I was going to talk about Amazon. Because I've been doing a bit more, like, looking into Amazon just in terms of, you know, their business operations and things like that. But I'm going to save it for another episode because I'm going to, I'm going to deep dive a little bit on that one, I think. So probably park that for now. Um, I'm going to do another episode, uh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon. Um, there's a, there's a good fight coming up this weekend. Edson Barboza and um, Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee lost to Tony Ferguson for the interim title, the lightweight division, but came into that fight with a staph infection and was, uh, you know, was was diminished. So we didn't see the true, but you know, he's uh, he's a hell of a fighter, and obviously we know about Edson Barboza, you know. One of the best strikers in the division. Possibly, you know, some of the best leg kicks along with Justin Gaethje um, in MMA. 
they square off for real title contender uh, kind of, again, kind of matchup that's going to put them in a really strong position to get back to that number one, to that title contender status um, and really, you know, get up close to the Khabib and the Connor conversation, especially with Tony Ferguson out with his knee injury. So I want to do a little preview for that card. And I also want to have a look back on the card that happened last weekend, the weekend just gone, which saw Dustin Poirier uh, stop Justin Gaethje in a wild fight, wild fight. Um, <clears throat> so I'd like to do a look back at that because I didn't do a preview for it. And I meant to, but with everything that's been going on, I just didn't have the time. Um, so I'd like to do a look back at that and a preview for the event coming this weekend. So i got a couple days to do that. So I might do it on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. We'll see um, what time allows and, 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 and when, I can, when I can fit that in. But it's definitely something that I want to do um, before the weekend. So stay tuned for that. Um, I hope I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, we covered a couple of different things. Uh, we're just over an hour, so we're gonna peace out. Um, go enjoy the sunshine. Uh, we got a little bit more work to do before we wrap for the day on the nine to five aspect of things. Uh, but this is how I spend my lunch hour, coming at you guys, and uh, it couldn't be more of a pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, thanks as always for tuning in. This is episode twenty five. And until next time, this is The Quiet Part Loud. I'm your host, Daryl. And uh, until next time, all the best, guys.